Hello, Slate listeners. Do us a favor and help us make a better Slate by answering our survey. It'll only take a few minutes. You can find it at slate.com slash survey. Hey, just a heads up before we start the show. There is like the tiniest bit of salty language right at the end. You should listen anyway. Pop quiz for you, Jim. Oh, God. (laughs) Name (laughs) all the states that are voting today. Okay, let me let me try to I'm not going to cheat and look at the map. I'm going to visualize it from west to east. Uh, California. Ding. Texas. Yes. Arkansas. Alabama. Jim Newell is the senior political writer here at Slate. In other words, he is our go to guy for all things Super Tuesday. Is that do I have enough? You're at 11. American Samoa, is that this time? American Samoa? It is this time. Tonight, there are more than a thousand Democratic delegates up for grabs, coast to coast. It's been a dizzying week in which Joe Biden staged a comeback and moderates tried to clear a path for his nomination. And it's only Tuesday. Can we just talk about how unprecedented the current situation is? Like, no matter who ends up being the nominee, this pathway to the Democratic presidential nomination is pretty twisted. The winner of the Iowa caucus is dropping out before Super Tuesday. Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, Pete Buttigieg. That's pretty unprecedented. The last time that the winner of the Iowa caucuses was not the nominee was 1992. With Buttigieg out and Amy Klobuchar too, Joe Biden is trying to shore up his case. The thing is, now he's on a tight schedule. It took Barack Obama his big decisive win in South Carolina to sort of catch up to Hillary Clinton in the national polls in Super Tuesday. But they had 10 days to work with. Joe Biden has three days to work with. And with the expansion of early voting, a lot of people have already voted. That South Carolina primary was just 72 hours ago. The good news is, I guess, for for everyone's uh, mental sanity is just we're not going to have to sit here thinking out scenarios too much because they're just going to happen before we actually have the chance to plot them all out. Today on the show, the Democratic race tightens up. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So let's set the table a little bit. In one fell swoop, a third of the delegates for the Democratic nomination are going to be decided tonight. And the state of the race is, is it fair to say Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden are running neck and neck at this point? Uh, I don't know, <laughs> because we, have, we haven't seen what, um, how much Joe Biden's win in South Carolina helped him. But it, it would not surprise me if they're, if they're neck and neck. I mean, the race does seem to be converging to the point where those two are are 
probably going to have the most delegates. Right. We should say like they've only got like 50 or so delegates each now and they need something close to 2000 to clinch it. Right. And they're one, two now. And um, even though I don't trust with much specificity the Super Tuesday polls, it looks like they're going to be one and two out of Super Tuesday. You know, that's probably going to hold more or less for the rest of the race. But I guess the question is who's one and who's two. Right. Until this weekend, Bernie Sanders was pretty comfortably in that number one spot. But in South Carolina, Biden won more than twice as many votes as Sanders. Let's talk a little bit about the rise of Joe Biden, because it is really notable that he lost a bunch of these races and then all of a sudden won. And he'd always talked about this firewall in South Carolina of black voters who are going to make the case for him as the candidate. And I guess going into Super Tuesday, you know, the question is whether this firewall is a real thing or a kind of one off. So you were in South Carolina. Can you talk a little bit about the elements that you saw leading to Biden's victory there? So I think a few things happened. One, the, the Nevada second, even though it was a distant second, I think helped him a little bit. Just, you know, another fifth place finish would have not been pretty. So he's still alive, basically. Yeah, he's still alive. Uh, he also, you know, he hunkered down in the state when a lot of other candidates were doing some events in South Carolina, but also it's starting to crisscross the country for Super Tuesday. So then Tuesday night, he had a, a pretty good debate. And then, you know, after that good debate performance, where Bernie Sanders took a lot of shots... The morning after, Jim Clyburn, who is the House Majority Whip, um, the number three in the House of Representatives, but he's also sort of the you know godfather of South Carolina Democratic politics, and I, he endorsed Joe Biden. But I want the public to know that I'm voting for Joe Biden. South Carolinas should be voting for Joe Biden, and here's why. I think that that was, you know, not just that people um, respect him a lot, but I think in this particular cycle where there's a lot of people who are maybe moderates and are not interested in Bernie Sanders, there there's so many people I talk to everywhere who just don't know who to vote for then. And hmm. I think maybe when you have an august figure like that come out and put his weight behind Biden, that can be a clarifying moment and help you rally. So the moderates were kind of like, well, then who do I go for, Amy or Biden or, or Buttigieg or Steyer? Or Steyer? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that propelled him a little bit. Huh. Here's the other question I kept asking myself after South Carolina, which is, is it fair to think of black voters in South Carolina as a stand-in for black voters more generally or not? I think that there are similarities among black voters across the South. I think there's a little bit more of a pragmatic, moderate streak among black voters in the South. And you saw Hillary's performance um, in 2016. She won 72-27 in South Carolina on the strength of black voters and carried that into Super Tuesday and a lot of the southern states there. But then when the race turned to northern states, uh, Michigan, notably in Wisconsin, Bernie did a little bit better with uh, black voters. So there's there's regional differences. But I do think that um, across the South, you know, Biden's margins will, will hold pretty well. I think that's such an important distinction because, yeah. you know, it's just it's we so often speak about the voters in South Carolina like the black vote. And I think <laughs> right, I'm really yeah. glad you drew that line. Right. I mean, we'll see if that's different this time. But I there was, you know, when 
when Bernie had effectively lost the nomination last time after Super Tuesday and some some Southern contests, he did start to pull better. And I think, you know, that's where different issues overlap. Like, I, I think Bernie will probably do pretty well in some Rust Belt states where his anti-trade deal and some of his more populist rhetoric, you know, may work a little better with some older black voters there. I mean, let's talk about Pete Buttigieg for a second, because he did surprise some people by dropping out of the race on Sunday, even though he, as you said, he'd won Iowa and he was running something like third overall. To me, I saw this happen. I was like, this feels like a play to be secretary of defense or something. But I'm wondering how you saw it. I It's definitely a play where you're keeping in mind your political future. It's definitely a play where you have something to lose. I mean... Yeah, his finishes were one, two, three, four as time went out. He had those so big wins. So he was wins. slipping. Yeah, he was slipping. And now I think, you know, the the sort of, for lack of a better term, the, the official party or party establishment, you know, is trying to figure out a way to unite in an alternative to stop Bernie Sanders. And it looks like Joe Biden claimed that spot. So if you're Pete Buttigieg, you might want to run for president later. You might want to run for senator or governor of somewhere. We'll see where he lands up. Um, you know, you want to to take one for the team um, just to, to build goodwill for down the road. Buttigieg isn't the only candidate taking one for the team. On Monday, Amy Klobuchar announced she would also be leaving the race. Both Klobuchar and Buttigieg pledged to back Joe Biden. So what I want all of you to do is vote for Joe. Vote for decency. Vote for dignity. Vote for a heart for our country. And then former Nevada Senator Harry Reid did, too. So even though Joe Biden has been notably absent from Super Tuesday states, tonight he's a contender. Jim says something to watch for as results trickle in is the 15 percent rule. Candidates can't win any delegates without earning 15 percent of the vote, state or district wide. That means the candidates who haven't dropped out, people like Michael Bloomberg and Elizabeth Warren, they don't have many options without reaching that threshold. Let's take California as an example. The winner of the state, there are 90 at-large delegates there, and that's divided up proportionally. But you have to get 15 percent to qualify. The same rule applies for each of California's 54 congressional districts where you know, there's four, five, six, seven delegates for each district, and and then they it's proportional that way. And this was a way to sort of weed out the weaker members of the herd, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like thank God the Democrats have this rule in this cycle. Like, if they did not, it would be just one more thing where eight candidates are staying in the race. I mean, you have to have something where you try to give people the hint to just get out of the race if they're not showing any substantial support whatsoever. But Elizabeth Warren and Michael Bloomberg. They don't seem interested in taking hints. The longer they stay in the race, hoovering up a few extra delegates here and there, the more likely Democrats are headed towards a contested convention. That's what would happen if a candidate like Sanders or Biden had a plurality of the votes, but not enough delegates to claim the nomination. If we have Super Tuesday and it's Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden taking way more delegates than everyone else, then I think the only way you really stop a contested convention is you have Mike Bloomberg get out Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, and you also have Elizabeth Warren get out. 
But Bloomberg and Elizabeth Warren have said they have no plans of getting out. Now, sometimes that's just bluster. They're trying to keep up this confidence game a little bit. Um, and then they get out, you know, as soon as results come in. But, you know, I think that if you want to avoid a contested convention at this point, you can't have four candidates who are collecting delegates go on much further than Super Tuesday because there are some big races coming up down the line. There's Florida and Ohio and Georgia. I mean, places where people can just get enough delegates that they can be problematic later. Right. So I think you would really have to see the field cleared or a one on one pretty quickly after Super Tuesday. And it's not clear that that's going to happen. I mean, I think it would really be in the party's sake for everyone who is not in the top two to get out just because you want a clear winner. You want a majority winner. You do not want Milwaukee to go to a contested convention where supporters of one candidate are going to be extremely upset. So I I just don't think I think it'd be really ugly if that were to happen. You know, it empowers someone like a Bloomberg or a Warren to make themselves into something of a kingmaker or a queenmaker, but it also creates this unease in the electorate. Right. And also it's, you know, Warren's plan is pretty explicitly to um, become the, the use her queenmaker powers to anoint herself, which I also have a lot of problems with. <laughs> you know, if you can't win anything and then you expect to get to a convention with your handful of delegates and try to make yourself a compromise candidate. I just don't think that people are going to go for that. How would that work? It would basically be no one has a first ballot majority, and then you're trying to think of a way to get someone a majority and unite the party afterwards. And Elizabeth Warren would say, well, I'm the only other candidate that a good number of Bernie voters would accept. You know, she's the only other one that they might have considered voting for a lot of them in the primary And then she would say, well, in the moderate wing, they can live with me. So I think that would be her argument. But it also just you can't come in fourth in the primaries and be the nominee. Or can you? You can. Maybe you can. But I just think it's I I have problems with that. And same if Mike Bloomberg tries to do the same thing, which I think would go over a lot less well, too, since, you know, obviously there's no constituency. There's not a big constituency in the party for him to begin with. I mean, I, I wonder, you've been out in the field over the last month or so, and in places where Bloomberg isn't on the ballot, but of course, he kind of came to haunt all of these races. So I'm wondering what you think Michael Bloomberg needs to do tonight to really make the case to continue to stay in the race. Because of course, his primary case was Joe Biden is weak. And so here I am, and I'm the alternative. That's not really a great case anymore. Yeah, I don't I, I don't really think he has a case anymore. I mean, we'll see. Maybe he just wildly outperforms everything that we we've been expecting, looking at the way things have been going the last week. But it was it's a really thin line that he was straddling there. You know, when Biden started out of the gate, fourth place, fifth place, it looked like things might be good for Bloomberg because his whole strategy is the moderates cannot produce a candidate. It's a big mess coming out of the early states. And then he would be ready with an organization and with $500 million already spent in Super Tuesday states. And he could sort of take on that mantle. But then Joe Biden starts to perform again, and instantly his rationale is gone. And you look at, you know, among South Carolina voters in the exit polls, they asked them, even though Bloomberg wasn't on the ballot, they asked for his, you know, whether people approved or didn't approve of him. Um, he had 25% or so favorability. Like, he's not liked by Democrats. He does not have 
enough traction in Super Tuesday states, he's gone from the guy who could be the beneficiary of Biden's collapse to the guy who is enabling Bernie Sanders by holding Joe Biden back a little bit. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, Bloomberg was asking everyone to drop out of the race. What was it, a week ago, two weeks ago? And now right, what you're right. saying is maybe Bloomberg's the guy in the way. Yeah. So then he has two, you know, crappy debates and Joe Biden is ascendant. So it's over. I mean, it's 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 over for him. And it's just a matter of when he sort of acknowledges that, you know, just knowing the way he's thought and he's thought about running for president so many times before, but he's always done the math ahead of time being like, I have no path to victory. And this time he pulls the trigger and for a couple of weeks there, it looks like all the factors were coming together until they weren't. So I have a hard time seeing him stay much longer if he knows his only role to be, will be to help Bernie Sanders get the nomination. So they may be talking a lot now, like, oh, we're not going anywhere. But I, I, it would not surprise me if he dropped out shortly after Super Tuesday. Before we go, I'm wondering if you can just give me your three states to pay attention to tonight that you think might tell us something about the state of the race. Well, California, in general, I'm just looking to see how much Bernie Sanders can run up the score there. If it's, you know, a couple hundred delegate lead coming out of there, then you look at proportional delegates down the road and there's a mix of good states for Biden, good states for Sanders you know, they might just net out the rest of the contest and then Sanders would still have that plurality at the end. Um, I would say Virginia, I think, is interesting just because I think it's a state where every candidate has kind of a, a possible way of winning it. And then Texas, I'm also interested in because I know that's a, bo- that's a boring pick. It's because it's so big. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, it, it's so big. And I would like to see that's a state that I think Bernie has been trying real hard to win. I, I had Steve Kornacki on the show last week, and he was comparing Bernie's rise to Trump and basically saying he need the one thing he needs to do that Trump did was just start snowballing, start getting right. into the 30s and the 40s in terms of these victories, because if he's keeping it in the 20s and low 30s, it's creating too much room for other people. Right. And, you know, it could be a thing if it gets down to a, you know, a lot of like pundit talk when it talks about getting Bernie into a one on one. It sort of has this assumption that, well, whoever is going to get in that one on one is going to crush Bernie because Bernie has narrow appeal and has a ceiling. Um, that was similar to what they thought about Donald Trump in 2016. And then it turned out he was just kicking everyone's ass when, you know, the more that the field narrowed, you know, and I think there have been some polls showing that Bernie Sanders would actually do pretty well in a one on one. Those polls could change. But I think it's just interesting. I think it'd be good for the party to get them in a one on one just so you can have a clear winner at the end of the process. Jim Newell, you're going to be up all night tonight. Thank you for doing it. Yep. Thank you. Jim Newell is Slate's senior political writer. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Mara Silvers, Mary Wilson, and Jason DeLeon. We're going to be up all night eating popcorn and watching the results. If we're feeling snippy, you're going to find us on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. And my real name, that's Mary Harris. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.